Ours is a society of commitment phobia. If you think about the men that our society champions, it champions men who are playboys that go from one lover to the next with no responsibility, no consequence, and brag and are thankful and glad and proud of the fact that they are such. If you think about the women that our society champions, our society champions a woman that leaves the home neglects having children, refuses to have children, so that she might pursue her own self-advancement and her own prosperous career. We live in a world where teenagers and college students want to stay teenagers. Where young married couples are waiting longer and longer and longer to have children, even though they have more money than any generation prior to them. Because they want to be able to travel and spend money on things that they want to spend money on themselves. Yes, ours is a society of commitment phobia. We're afraid of committing ourselves. We're afraid of devoting ourselves. We're afraid of of signing our name on the dotted line that we might have to back up our end of some deal. And the society and the culture that we live in that so fears commitment has now begun to permeate the church. George Barna of the Barna Group did a study in 1998 that said that the majority of self-professing Christians said that only 43% of them would, would acknowledge that they are fully committed to Jesus Christ and the gospel. Kevin DeYoung talks about it in the church. He says that what we want in the church is we want to date the church. We want a church that we can go and do fun social events with. We want a church that will be there for us on a rainy day, but that we owe no responsibility to ourselves. It is not uncommon for a person to jump from church to church to church to church in our day, feel completely justified in doing so and faithful in doing so. But brothers and sisters at Iron City Baptist Church, what we are seeking is a membership that is not interested in dating the church, not interested in dating the gospel, but is ready to be married to our mission, married to our vision, and devoted to this body for the rest of their lives. And I believe that this is the understanding of New Testament membership when it comes to the body of Christ. So as we continue... Uh, looking at what it looks like for our church as we uh, unveil and unroll new bylaws and we examine who we are as a congregation today, what I want us to do is to look at church membership. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Most of you immediately realize, or many of you immediately realize, that Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. That is the day in which the Spirit comes. Christ has ascended. He has died. He has, been, he has been raised from the grave, and now he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now, just as Christ has promised, he has sent the helper, the guide, the spirit to come and dwell in the life, to dwell in the heart of every believer. You remember last week, we talked about being uh, the temple of God, the spiritual house of God, that we are a holy priesthood, right? How is that? Because the spirit has taken residence in us. And so what we see at the end of chapter 2, 
is Peter having preached on Pentecost. 3,000 some people having come to faith in Christ Jesus. Now we see the first gathering of the church. And that's where I want us to look. So if you have your Bibles in Acts chapter 2, stand with me as we read God's word together. We will begin in verse 42. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. So when we come to Acts chapter 2, we have the early church. We have the church in its most infantile stage, gathering together. And it's this beautiful collection of believers. See, what I believe that the early church understood perhaps better than any other church has ever understood in, uh, in its history is the early church understood that they existed solely because of the inexplicable love of God. That it was the love of God that had brought them together. That God, having planned before the foundation of the earth to send his son as their substitute, had made them right with him, had reconciled them to himself, and had chosen them to make his love fully manifested. And so we see the church being brought together in the same way that every church is truly brought together. By the love of God himself. By the love of God, by the mercy of God, by the grace of God that each of us that are in Christ Jesus have come to know through the gospel that has been extended to us through Christ. And since the church had been brought together in, by the love of God, they understood that it was their responsibility, in fact, their identity to now make manifest the, the love of God in a way that is unseen anywhere else in the world. There is no place on earth where the love of God should be clearer than in the church. Not in your home, not in your school, not in your country. It is in the church where the love of God is intended to be most manifested. And we see this in the early church, don't we? Think about the people that, were in, that would have been a part of this congregation. Not just this congregation, but all the congregation. If you read, if you continued moving through Acts, and you were to go from congregation to congregation, you were to see uh, Antioch, and you were to see Jerusalem, and you were to see uh, Ephesus, and you were to see all of these different congregations coming together, you know what you would see there? Something that had never been seen before in the people of God. You would see slaves and masters worshiping God side by side, serving in the church on completely equal footing. You would see Jew and Gentile coming together, once reviling one another, once the Gentiles defiled the Jews, making them unfit for worship. But now they join together, worshiping together the one true God, able to say whether Jew or Gentile alike, that the Lord, he is my God, the Lord, he is my God. You have prostitutes and Pharisees, both in the church. Recovering prostitutes, recovering Pharisees, we might say. Recovering sinners, that's what the church is. A, a, a congregation of recovering sinners, of repentant sinners. 
those that once hated one another, now having pledged love for each other. Those that they once seen, they once saw as being most detestable, they now see as testimonies and witnesses of the purifying work of Christ himself. And so they had each other's backs. They had each other's backs. Oh, you don't, you don't have something to eat? I have food, have mine. Oh, you don't have a place to live? I have property that I can sell. I'll sell my property and give your children a place, a place to live. Oh, we have widows in need of provision. We'll make sure it happens. We have orphans in need of a home. They'll come and live with me. And it says that day after day after day, they lived in a collective awe of God as his love was made manifest among them. Can you even imagine? Can you imagine? Is that not the kind of church you dream of being a part of? Is that not the kind of church that, that you want to know about? Is that not the kind of, kind of body of believers, family of believers that you want to see and be a part of? You know, every single week, we have, um, we have single mothers who can hardly get their children dressed and here, but they're here. Hopeless as they feel. They get all of their kids, they get all of the stuff, they pile it into the car. I can't even comprehend what that must be like. We have two healthy adults in my, well, healthy except for last week, not healthy, so healthy last week. But we have two healthy adults most of the time in my home, and it is a job to get two kids and a baby all to church at the same time. We have widows that ride to church in a lonely car every single week. Probably as they come remembering their husband being in the chair beside them. Remembering their children when they used to go to church together. We have parents that are scared to death of whether or not their teenager is getting it. Whether or not their teenager is, is going to hold to the faith in the midst of this hostile culture. We have teenagers who wonder why they have to come here every stinking week. We have grandparents who are terrified of the world that their grandchildren are now being raised in. Brothers and sisters, we need one another. We need one another. We need to have one another's backs. We need this to be the place in which God's love is most clearly manifested. And it's most clearly manifested in the way that we care for each other. In the way that we defend one another. In the way that we provide for one another. You see, in the early church, the love of God transcended all obstacles. The love of God obliterated all barriers. That's what we need in our congregation. This is the kind of congregation that all of us dream of being a part of. The kind of congregation in which the manifested love of God obliterates any potential division that's there. The kind of place where if, if you have a need, you know that you can come and not be ridiculed, not look, be looked down upon, but be met and helped and provided for. The kind of place where you know that you can come and you can offer yourself and not be taken advantage of, but truly used for gospel good and gospel purpose. The place, again, where God's love is most clearly manifested on earth. I've had the joy in my life of knowing the church this way. Not always. There's no church that's perfect. Today, you're here, you're visiting Iron City. Maybe you've been visiting for a while, and you're looking for the perfect church. You're going to have to visit another church. We're not it. We're not perfect. I'm not a perfect preacher. 
We don't have perfect members. We are sinners. This is a hospital of sinners here. But I've had the, church, I've had the pleasure of knowing the church in my life the way these early Christians knew it. I've had times in my life where men of God laid their hands on me and prayed. I'm not talking about formulaic, routine prayers. I'm talking about weeping, seeking the face of God on my behalf prayers. I've experienced the encouragement in the church. You know, like, if, if I had not, if it would have been up to me, there would have never been a second sermon, okay? I preached my first sermon. I said everything I knew about Jesus and the Bible in about seven minutes, looked at the youth pastor and said, that's all I got, and sat down. You know why there was a second sermon? Because there was a church of people that challenged me. And pushed me forward. And told me to keep going. And to keep doing it. And told me it was good, even when I knew they were lying. I'm not sure if that's a sin or not. <laughs> the only reason I've ever preached in Africa is because of Christian brothers that challenged me to go. Even this past week, my family, all of us, sick, unable to do anything, go anywhere. People are bringing us food to our house, calling, checking on us. Y'all, we need the church. We need the church like that. We need all of the church. We need this kind of, of, of help in our lives. My life is a product of the grace of God on one hand and the good of the church operating as the grace of God on the other. We need this. If we are going to survive a broken world, if we're going to survive this messed up planet that we live in and the messed up lives that are a result and the heartache that comes and the struggle that comes and the exasperation that follows, the only way that we're going to survive is if we have one another and if in this place the manifested glory and love of God is allowed to dominate the culture. So maybe your the next question would be then, who is it that should be a member of the church? Who is it that should be a member of the church? It should not be everyone. Everyone is welcome to come here and worship. Everyone. It, we, it does not matter if they are a believer or an unbeliever. It does not matter what their worldview is. It does not matter what their political stances are. It doesn't even matter what their view of Jesus and the Bible is. Every person on earth is welcome to come into Iron City Baptist Church and worship with us and hear us and let the gospel come out to them and hear us proclaim the word, whether they agree with it or not. Membership, there's, there's an exclusivity to membership. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. There's an exclusivity to membership. There, membership in the New Testament sense is, is exclusively for a group of people. Namely, born again, baptized believers. Born again, baptized believers. Now I think we could go to uh, numerous New Testament texts to, to see this. But I think we see this in Acts 2 just as clearly. So look with me in verse 41. It's, it's the verse right before where we started this morning. Verse 41. And listen to what it says. This is at the end of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, right? Peter says, So those who received his word were baptized. And there, or not Peter, I'm sorry, this is Luke. So those who received his word were baptized, and they, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So in other words, the, the people that he's going to talk about in verses 42 through 47 are who? 
It's, it's those that have been baptized, right? It's, it's those that have been saved. It's those that have responded to the gospel message, who have been made regenerate by the Spirit. The G- Spirit is dwelling in them. They've been baptized, marking themselves as a believer. And now they have come together to devote themselves to the apostles' teachings and to devote themselves to the fellowship. That that's who we're talking about. The fellowship of people are those that have just been saved, just been baptized. Look at it again in verse 47. At the very last sentence, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who is it that's being added to the membership of the church? Those that are being saved. Those that are considered to be a part of the church, certainly where the church was gathered, there would have very likely have been a larger group of people there. Listening, hearing, trying to figure out what this thing is that they're all talking about. This man that has been raised from the dead and they're all selling out their lives, known as the way at this time. There's more people there. But those are not the people being added to the church. The people being added to the church daily are those being saved. You see, in the early church, in the church in Acts, in the church in the first couple of centuries, as a matter of fact, It would have been absolutely incomprehensible for them to have imagined that pagans would have, unbelievers, professing, people would profess to be a Christian that were not really a Christian. It would have been unimaginable for them that that somebody would want to say that they're a Christian and be a part of the Christian church when in fact they were not a Christian. Because you see in the early church, when you were being baptized, you you were identifying yourself as a marked man or a marked woman. In the early church, to be baptized was in essence to sign your own ticket to misery, perhaps your own death certificate. In the early church, the way it would often happen because of the persecution that was to happen is when you were baptized, when you took your place in the church, you might lose every worldly thing that you owned in that moment. The dad might be taken and thrown into prison, left to leave the the wife and the children to fend for themselves without a house to live in or provision to care for them. Families might betray you, turn their backs on you. You could be thrown in the middle of the Roman Colosseum to be devoured by a lion for sport. No, people didn't sign up for this. There was no social benefit to be an unbeliever in the church. That's different than the way we live in, isn't it? Our our, our society is increasingly becoming that way. That's different than the, the old south. But what we have here is a pure picture of a church as a result. What we have here is a church of genuine believers, genuine Christians who were sold out. They're not there for some kind of social benefit. They're not there because mama said they got to be there. They're not there because that's what we've always done. They're there because they follow Jesus and they want Jesus and they love Jesus. And I think that gives us a definition of what a church member should be, like what it should look like. Who should a church member be? It should be someone that treasures Christ supremely, lives for Christ radically, and is willing to die for Christ sacrificially. That's who a church member should be. Measure your life beside that definition. Measure your life beside that definition. Are you a person that in your life you treasure Christ supremely more than anything else, more than any other reality, more than any other luxury, more than any other leisure, more than any other thing that you can obtain in this earth? Are you living for Christ radically? 
Is your life countercultural? Is your life different, utterly opposed to the current of society and the current of culture? And honestly, are you willing to die for him? That question isn't going away just because we live in the modern age. That question doesn't go away just because we live in the free America. This is what a disciple of Jesus signs up for. This is who a disciple of Jesus is. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the only way that you can live out that definition of disciple, that definition of what it means to follow Jesus, is if you are a part of the church, and you have a support system like the church, and you have the love of the church, and the challenging of the church, and the support of the church. You can't do it otherwise. We must take seriously the membership of Iron City. We must take it seriously. Because the integrity of our membership will determine the integrity of the gospel that we spread. It will determine the credibility of the message that we spread in our community. As Mark Dever says, he says it like this. He says, whenever the lives of church members lie about Jesus, then the church has lost its purpose and the world has lost its light. Communities are not saved, and revivals are not wrought by churches that look like the people in the community, by members who look utterly indistinguishable from the people around them. No, communities are saved, and revivals are wrought when the people of the church, when the people of God live lives that are compellingly different than that. When they live lives that stand out from the fray. When they live lives that are impossible to define in worldly terms. When they have the kind of fellowship that we see in Acts chapter 2. Those are the kind of churches that turn their communities upside down. Those are the kind of churches that know what revival tastes like. Let's look in the mirror this morning, brothers and sisters. Let's take a long, hard, honest look in the mirror and decide today what kind of church we want to be. Let's look, let's look in the mirror today and decide what it is that we want to use to define the membership of Iron City Baptist Church, the people of God that are here. I think this is also, I said baptized believer very specifically. Because we see again in verse 41 it mentioned. But I believe that the picture of, of New Testament baptism is, is twofold. Number one, it's me saying publicly I am marked for Christ. Publicly, I, I'm willing to follow Jesus whatever it looks like. I'm not going to always love him supremely, but I'm going to try. I'm going to give my life to it. I'm not always going to live radically for him, but I'm giving my life to do it. And I want you to help me do it. I hope and pray to God that if the moment comes that I would die sacrificially for him. And so I want to be marked for him. I want you publicly, my brothers and sisters, to hold me accountable. And I want you to know that I'm signing up to go in the trenches with you. I want you to know that I'm going shoulder to shoulder with you, elbow to elbow with you, that I'm in this for the long haul, for your good and for the good of the gospel. And then secondly, I think the, one of the ways that the New Testament f functions is this. Okay, so we, don't, we have no reason to believe that there is any unbaptized believer in the New Testament outside of the thief on the cross. That everybody in the church would have been a baptized believer. That, that would have been inconceivable to them to think otherwise. And so what baptism does is it functions as the front door. 
or as the opened gate into the church. That to make sure that the people in the church are born again. Now again, can you be baptized and not be saved? Of course, we all know that. But none of us can judge the heart. We can judge the fruit, we can't judge the heart. And so the clearest picture of obedience that we know of in the New Testament to get into the church, to know that you are redeemed, to know that you are a child of God, that you have been marked as being a follower of Jesus is through baptism. That's why it's mandated, baptism for membership. Now some of you, just as an aside, I know some of you immediately say, I know, but I just can't get in front of people. Like, I, I, I want to follow Jesus, I want to, to be a part of the church, I want, but I just can't get in front of people. Think about it in a different way. To follow after Jesus is to deny yourself. To follow after Jesus is to say for the rest of your life, it's not my will, but your will be done. For those of you that are perhaps petrified of the thought of being baptized, that is fair. But could it not be that that is the very first step of self-denial in your life, in your journey of following after Jesus? Maybe the question that you have in your mind is, you think that's kind of like putting the cart before the horse. Maybe the question in your mind is, is church membership even biblical at all? I think it is. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just a couple of books. I believe that church membership is absolutely a biblical concept, a biblical idea, a biblical principle. That's why we're going to uphold it here at Iron City. But it's not membership in the way that you're accustomed to thinking of membership. All right? So read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll begin in verse 12 and read to verse 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So when we think about baptism, how do we think about baptism? I mean, I'm, I'm not membership. When we think about membership, how do we think about membership? We think about membership in terms of the country club, right? That you, you pay your dues and you get your benefits. You pay your dues and you get your consumable products. And so what you want to do is you want to go to the place in which you can get paid the least amount of money and get the most amount of benefit, right? You, you want to go to the, to the country club where you have the least amount of monthly fee, but at the same time you have the most social events, you have the best golf, you have the best tennis, you have the best fishing, you have the, the best. So you, so you want to you pay for something, you shop around and you, you pay for something so that the product that you're to consume is the best that you can get. And this is how we typically think of the church, right? How do we go and look for a church? Typically, we go and we try to find who has the best consumable product for us. Who has the message that is the most palatable? Who has the ministries that are the most dynamic? Who has the services that are going to offer us the greatest benefit? Sure, I'll, I'll throw a dollar in. Man, I might even throw an Abraham Lincoln in there every now and then. But I want some return, right? I, I want to I give the least so that I can get and get the most. But this benefit-centered membership is not at all New Testament church membership. At all. New Testament church membership is not membership into a club. It's membership in a body. 
It's member, being a member of a family, profoundly different. It's being the, the right arm on the body. For the vitality of the body and for the health of the arm, both are needed. That if you separate the arm from the body, the arm will wither and die. If you separate the arm from the body, the body will be less vital, less, less healthy, less able to function and do what, what it was created to do. It's the picture of a mother or a father sacrificing for their family, sacrificing for their children, getting up and going to work day after day after day, not because they always want to, but because they understand they have a responsibility to provide for their children. They have a responsibility to, to keep a roof over their heads and to give them the things that they need, even some of the things that they want, hopefully. This is the picture of New Testament church membership. It's not benefits-based, it's responsibility-based. See, all of us understand that there is nothing worse in a family than a deadbeat dad, right? It is genuinely one of the burdens that I have for this generation. I was a youth pastor for eight years. And for eight years, I had kids come into my ministry that had no father in the home. And if they had a father in the home, he might as well have not been in the home. And we have a, a society now of fatherless boys, directionless children. Where dads are off being footloose and fancy free and doing what they want to do. You can be like Adrian Peterson and have 20 kids over the United States of America and still be celebrated as a hero. Even if the father is in the home, they're often so busy playing video games and obtaining uh, toys for themselves that the children are left to just do whatever they want to do, undisciplined, unled. All of us understand the destruction, some of us by first-hand experience, of a fatherless home, of a deadbeat dad. But brothers and sisters, I fear that our church memberships are being filled with deadbeat members. Members who come occasionally, who give rarely, who contribute nothing. Members who are consumed with living out their life for themselves, doing what they want to do. Going how they want to go. Requiring no sacrifice at all to be a part of the church. No denial of themselves to be a part of the church. And the church is suffering. The church is weakening as a result. Brothers and sisters, you were saved for more than that. You were saved for more than merely enjoying the kingdom of God after death. You were saved for building the kingdom of God. Building it. Here on earth, in this life, you get to be a part of building the kingdom of God to the glory of Christ. Spreading the good news to the ends of the earth. And the truth of the matter is, is you cannot truly enjoy the kingdom of God if you have no part in building it. It is in building the kingdom that you find your joy in this life. It is building the kingdom that you find your reward in the next life. Let it not be said of us that we are a congregation of deadbeat members. Let it instead be said of us that we are those that answer the gospel's call. That we are those that are going to be the arm in the, in, on the body. That we are those that are going to be the fathers in the body. Or in the family. 
Let us roll up our sleeves and disciple our children here. Let us roll up our sleeves and lead worship here. Let us roll up our sleeves and go to the ends of the earth here. Let us roll up our sleeves and go to the prisons here. Let us roll up our sleeves and get about gospel work collectively in awe of God, manifesting the love of God in this place, in this house, among this body. There is greater joy for us to find. There is greater truth for us to know. There are are corners of the glory and greatness and splendor and supremacy of God that we have not even glimpsed yet. Let us get in the game so that we might see it. Who should be a member of Iron City? It should be whoever is ready to be a nose or an eye or an ear or a hand or an arm. It should be those who say, there are widows, I will wait tables with you. I will care for the widows with you. I will bring in the orphaned with you. I will reach the nations with you. I will sign up to be in the trenches beside you for the rest of my life as long as I'm able. Who should be a member of Iron City Baptist Church? It should be those who said, I am ready to be a functioning member of this family of believers. I will face cancer with you. I will face parenting with you. I will face brokenness with you. I will celebrate with you. I will face infertility with you. I will face hardship with you. I will face the teenage years with you. I will face life with you. We are a family together in the trenches, united in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of membership we're talking about. That's why historically... And here in our church, we are united in a covenant with one another. Covenant language is serious language. Somehow over the last 50 years or so, as the church has become more of a business, more of a corporation, and less of an organism, less of a body, and a family, church covenants have went away. Most of you don't even know that you somehow, when you came in to be a part of Iron City, signed up for a covenant. You couldn't even tell what it was. There are three covenant relationships that we know, and I think this speaks to the severity of the church, the importance of the church. There are three covenant relationships that a Christian person typically enters into in this world. Number one, a relationship with Christ Jesus. We call this the new covenant. Number two, the covenant with our husband or with our wife, the marital covenant. And three, the covenant with our church family, the church covenant. Do you see the footing that you put that relationship on with? Do you see the ground that you're putting that on equal footing with? That you are making a vow to the church in a way that you make a vow to your spouse. We've endeavored to make our, our covenant here to be simple, to be biblical, to be memorable. Sweeping, hopefully, all of the expectations that the New Testament has of a church and of a church member. Our church covenant is going to simply be our core values. That to the best of our ability, by the grace of God, by the indwelling of His Holy Spirit in us, that we will be a body of believers that starts with the Word. That individually, as members, we will be those that recognize and apply the primacy of God's Word in our lives, and so we will delight in it. Two, we will love one another. 
that our love for each other inside of this body will be the picture of Christ's love for the church so clearly manifested in this world. Three, that we will roll up our sleeves, that we will train our children in the church, that we will fill the worship team in the church, that we will fill the classrooms in the church, that we will fill the mission teams in the church, that we will meet the needs raised up in the church, that we will meet the needs that are, are, occur even on the periphery of the church. We will love one another radically, sacrificially. Four, that we will dine with sinners. We will go into the midst of our community as, unrepentant, as, as repentant sinners ourselves, and we will go and we will find them in their sinfulness, we will find them in their brokenness, and we will meet them there with the gospel. We will be their friends. We will bring them into our homes. We will let them be a part of our families. We will not just stop there. We will go to the ends of the earth. We will go to the edges of Africa. We will go to the edges of the southeast, to the edges of this nation. We will not stop until we do everything in our power and expense every resource that we have to reach the most that we can reach with the gospel's message. And in case we forgot anything, number five is to glorify God in all things. That whether we're a mom or a dad, a teacher or a nurse, whether we work at Honda or we're a stay-at-home mom, whatever we do, we want to do whatever it is so that we might maximize the glory of God. I understand that in a society of commitment phobia, that it is politically incorrect to say that we have expectations But brothers and sisters, the the mission that we have is too urgent. The vision that we have is too big to worry with political correctness. The expectations that we have as a church are the same that are given to every Christian throughout church history. In the Old Testament, when someone was to enter into a covenant, when two men were going to enter into a covenant with one another, they would slaughter an animal. And they would take the pieces of the animal and they would make two lines. And the two men would walk between those animal parts, saying symbolically, If I break my end of the covenant, let happen to me what happened to that animal. Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of commitment we need as a church family. This is the kind of commitment that we're called to as Christians. Let me pray for us.